The Colorado Avalanche are just one win away from winning the Stanley Cup Final. Can the Lightning strike not once, twice, but three times in order for them to get their three-peat? The NBA draft is tonight, but after the first four picks, it's a crapshoot from that point out. Also, is Kyrie Irving about to make a mad dash over the Brooklyn Bridge to the Garden? The Astros took it to the Mets the past two days. Now they head to New York for the next week with a trip for four to Yankee Stadium this weekend. What can we expect from the two best teams in the American League? Another top golfer jumps to the Live Golf League. And the latest in the Deshaun Watson saga. Summer is officially here, and so is the midweek podcast after a break last week. It's all coming up. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as we zoom into the final weekend of June. Summer has arrived. Everybody, let's take a big inhale and exhale as we could finally look forward to some warmth. Even though it hasn't really been warm here in the Northeast, it's actually been in the low 70s, even upper 60s as of yesterday. But depending on where you live and where you're listening to this, especially here in the Northeast, we all know that these days are fleeting. Gets dark after 9 p.m., sun rises after 5, which I love those long days. And not only that, but the hot days do await. But as we all know, it goes by in a blur. So don't rush these days. Make the most of it. Enjoy it to the fullest, people, because as we all know, summer goes by in a blink. Speaking of making the most of it, now let's make the most of this podcast as you're here to listen to some sports. And I got it all for you upcoming here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Even though we got a few things to discuss, but guess what? On the horizon is the Sports Dead Zone Part 2, and no, I won't get into that now. For those who are new to the podcast or aren't really too familiar, Sports Dead Zone meaning that the fall and winter sports will soon exit stage right. We know the NBA did so a week ago today. Hockey could be tomorrow night, as I'll get into in a minute. But with baseball pretty much going to be the last sport standing, yes, I know you're going to have Wimbledon start on Monday, and yes, I know you're going to have the British Open next month. 
for the golf fan that's out there with the NBA draft tonight as well as NBA free agency. That's always something that's going to percolate and keep the needle moving. NHL, maybe not so much, but there is a draft. And of course, they'll have their free agency period come in the next week or so. But now as we take a step back to not only take a look at the sports landscape, which I'll touch on, whether it's the latest with Deshaun Watson, Brooks Kepka jumping to the Live Golf League, the draft, as I mentioned tonight, with the NBA, which after the first four picks, it's pretty much a toss-up. Also, you have the scenario with Kyrie Irving, which seems like it's an ongoing saga and a never-ending one at that. But with all that being said, we're going to start off with the NHL and the Stanley Cup Finals as we're that much closer As soon as tomorrow night, we may have a champion. And no, that will not be the Tampa Bay Lightning who are looking to three-peat. As I've said time after time, no team has had a three-peat going back to the Islanders of the early 80s. And even with the scene shifting to Tampa on Monday where the Lightning had a tough weekend in the Mile High City. Granted, the series did start last Wednesday, but as we left there Saturday, 7-0 losing on top of an overtime loss in Game 1. You knew that the Lightning have been down this road before. You knew that their championship medal was going to come out. And we did see that pretty much not from the start because the Avalanche did get the first goal and actually could have been up 2 nothing. But thankfully, the replays were able to get that offsides, which led to the first goal technically of the game. But then that was wiped by the board. And even with the Avalanche scoring to make it one nothing, you had that beautiful play by Steven Stamkos and Andre Palat that really set the stage for the barrage that came. They chased Darcy Kemper out of the nets. Pavel Vrancu had to mop up and dig him up a power play goal to Corey Perry after that. And then you're thinking, has the Colorado Avalanche, who have not faced a lot of adversity, and even with that loss on Monday night, you had to wonder what was going on between their ears coming into the game last night. Because we've seen Tampa win a conference final down 0-2 to the Rangers. And granted that this isn't the Ranger team that they're facing. It is Colorado with their high-octane offense. And just coming at you, it waves like a swarm of bees. And metaphorically speaking, like an avalanche. But with the momentum solely in the possession of Tampa, we know about their pedigree, obviously their goaltending. And with the psyche of even their netminder in a one Darcy Kemper, being pulled, has not had a great postseason. It made you think that the Lightning were going to come back and even the series to take it back to Denver, best of three series, and pretty much be a toss-up from that point on as to who's going to win the Stanley Cup Final. But after last night, 36 seconds into the game with Anthony Sorelli scoring that goal and all the momentum that I mentioned now, the avalanche, quote-unquote, started to shift to where Tampa looked like they were going to be on a roll to cruise to another victory. But as it was, they did not have a lead throughout the course of the evening. Avalanche then scored, followed by the Lightning. And then when you get to 2-2, into the overtime, Kemper, who played very well in net, same for Andre Vasilevsky. But it was a guy who, I'm not going to say was forgotten, but someone who has made an impact in the postseason, in particular the series against the St. Louis Blues, but Nas Kazim was the Johnny on the spot hero last night as he scored probably one of the more anticlimactic overtime goals in Stanley Cup 
playoff and final history as he was able to, off of a line change by Tampa, he was able to skate into the lightning zone, shot the puck underneath the armpit of Vasilevsky and to the top of the net to where it was lodged right there in the very top of the net where the mesh and the back goalpost meet. And for a second there, you're wondering what the hell happened. Did Vasilevsky make the save? Did the puck go into the netting over the glass? And then the next camera shot shows the avalanche celebrating to the point where it made you wonder, what is going on here? Is this the Twilight Zone? Am I watching a different game? What did I just witness? And for Nazem to get that goal, he had the thumb injury where it required surgery. And for him to be the hero, the guy that's going to not only put a commanding 3-1 series lead for the Avalanche, but also take the series back to Denver to where they could clinch their first Stanley Cup in 21 years and wipe away a three-peat where the Lightning now face a daunting task of having to win the next three games in order for them to get that three-peat. Anticlimactic, yes, but now sets the stage to see how this championship DNA is going to bubble to the surface and then how will Colorado be able to slam the door and hoist that Stanley Cup over their heads before we get deep into the weekend where the series would shift back to Tampa on Sunday night. But as we all know, the organization, players, and the fans do not want to have their team get on a plane to play a game six at Emily Arena. And again, watching that goal go up to the top of the net, I I still couldn't believe it. And you had to watch two or three replays to actually even digest it and regurgitate it because... Like I said, usually when you get into overtime, especially in the Stanley Cup Final, there's going to be a lot of joy. There's going to be a lot of jumping around, players hugging, which you did see, but you almost had to watch the replay not once, but twice in order to believe it. And Kazem, who had his own battles that he had to deal with, especially in that St. Louis series where he had that hat trick there and the death threats and had to go through that nonsense. And I don't want to say it nonsense in that regard. You can't underestimate what he's had to go through here not only with the injury, but also with what happened in St. Louis. But kudos to him. And Colorado now just one game away. And do I think that they're going to win this series in five? Of course, your mind's going to say yes to think that they have were able to get the one game in Tampa. And now we all know that the pressure is going to be squarely on the lightning here over the next two games until you get to that game seven. And would I be surprised if they lose tomorrow night? No. Do I think they're going to win? I'm not so sure they're going to. Because I could see what a lot of hype and a lot of the momentum, as I've said earlier, now squarely in the palms of the Avalanche and their players. I could see them being a little tight. And I could see Tampa maybe being a little bit loose because they've been down this road before. Have they been in a 3-1 series deficit to come back to win a series? Off the top of my head, I can't say that. Because when we look at these cup runs, they always seem to be playing from in front. Yes, they came from behind in the Rangers series, we know that. Yes, they came back from 3-2 against Toronto in Series 1. But from 3-1, we haven't seen. Especially during this Stanley Cup chase here over the last 24 months. 
I think Colorado is going to win this series. I'd be shocked if they lose, even with everything that Tampa has done. Can it be pushed to a Game 7? There's so many different questions to ask because of who Tampa is and what they've been able to do here. I do think that Colorado will win this series. Would I be surprised if it goes seven games? I would not be. Would I be surprised if they lost on Friday, like I mentioned? No. Would I be surprised if Colorado wins in Tampa game six? No. But to make a prediction, I don't know if this is going to be enough for Tampa, even them, to overcome. And I'm not saying winning a game five, but even having to go back to their building and win a game six, I think it's a tall order for Tampa at this point. I'm sure they've got to be exhausted. Same for Colorado for that matter, but I'm going to say Colorado wins Friday night. Pretty much puts the lightning out of their misery. They did have their one game. And I still think they could win a game five. I'm not trying to dismiss that Tampa has no shot to win to bring the series back to Tampa. But I think Colorado knows that they could taste it. They could smell it. They had to overcome that game. They trailed twice, granted just by one goal, where they were able to get the victory in overtime and obviously take their first lead to win and have a commanding 3-1 series lead. But with all those scenarios, like I mentioned, who could win a game five? Would I be surprised this? Do I think Colorado could do that? Can Tampa do this? All that's valid. But I really feel that Colorado's going to win this series and know that they do not want to have to go back to Tampa because if Tampa does happen to win game five and then win a game six, we know that the pressure of the world is going to be on Colorado to win Tuesday night in game seven. And that's a fascinating thing because when we're back on the podcast here come Monday afternoon, either the series is going to be over or we could be talking about a game seven Tuesday night. So we shall see how that unfolds here over the course of the next day or so. There were a couple more coaching hires in the sport where you had Peter DeBoer, the former Vegas coach, going to be hired by the Dallas Stars. I don't know if it's official, but word had come down that sources said that he'll be the next coach. We know DeBoer took the Devils to a Stanley Cup final in 2012. It's already 10 years. Jeez, I was against the Kings. So let's see what he does there in Dallas as he makes another stop along the coaching carousel in the NHL, and then Paul Maurice, speaking of which, a guy who's also coached many a team in the NHL, he has been hired by the Florida Panthers. Andrew Brunette, we know, was the interim for the most part after Joel Quenville left with the whole controversy in Chicago, dating back to the early part of the fall. So, interesting choice bringing in Maurice. Maybe Barry Trotz was a guy that they possibly looked at, but knowing that there's a ton of offense on that Florida Panther team, They went with Maurice, so let's see if the Panthers could rebound next year off of their 122-point regular season performance, which we all know ended in a sweep at the hands of the Lightning. So those are two coaches that have found their spot, and let's see as we get into next year, which is obviously down the road, how they fare with their new jobs in those two particular cities. Now, as I unlace my skates and put on my high tops, yes, I'm going to go NBA only because the draft is tonight. Barkley Center, two rounds. We know the draft garners a lot of attention in the NFL. 
not so much in the NBA, but when we think of the four major sports, baseball and hockey don't get the same love than the NBA and NHL. And tonight, how I look at it, after the first four picks, it's pretty much not only a crapshoot, but it's a complete toss-up. And I'm not one, if you listen to me in the past, in any of the sports, I'm not big on mock drafts, trying to break down every pick, trying to break down who's going to go where. We all know that that could be upended in a heartbeat with a trade and with a lot of transactions that could take place throughout the course of the, not only evening, but even early on the day. I know the Blazers made a trade for Jeremy Grant. So you'll have small moves made like that. But when we look at the top of the draft, and we all know who the players are, whether your name is Jabari Smith from Auburn, Chet Holmgren, the kid from Gonzaga, who I think is leaving a little bit too early. Yes, we know he has ability, but a lot of raw ability. And when you have a guy as big as he, seven foot, yes, I understand that he could shoot from deep, and we know that he's a shot-blocking presence, but he needs to beef up a little bit. For a guy that's seven feet and he's under 200 pounds, you know that you have a big ball of clay, and if you're Oklahoma City or even Orlando, who may select him, but a lot of the mock drafts, they have him going number two to uh, Oklahoma City, you know that that big ball of clay, you're going to have to do your best to chisel that to the NBA player that you think is going to help you for the next decade. Then when we look at Paolo Boncaro from Duke, he's a guy that has a lot of playmaking ability. Yes, you still have to wonder about his shot and being a three-point threat, But he's a guy that's going to be able to do a lot of different things, very multifaceted, a lot of versatility, and that's something that you're going to like, even if he does fall at number three for the Houston Rockets. And then to round that off, when you have a guy like Jaden Ivey, who played at Purdue, who's going to be a presence there in a backcourt to go along, maybe with the Aaron Fox, who knows if Fox is going to be dangled for some trade bait. I don't think that's going to happen. That's just me speculating here. But once you get past that, you're really going to go into the weeds to try to find guys that's going to help a franchise to take your team, maybe not to the next level this year, but it's going to be a building block for your future and the years to come. Because when I look at this draft, and not that I go deep in the weeds when it comes to college basketball, but the next guy when I look on this list And I'm sure this isn't to disparage or to knock any of the other guys, whether you're A.J. Griffin, another Dookie, that's going to be coming out. You figure that maybe drafted in the top 10. Johnny Davis, who is a very good scorer in the Big Ten for Wisconsin. There's quite a few of these guys, when you look down the list, that could make an impact, that could be a type of guy that could be a surprise, could maybe even be a little bit of a reach for some of these teams that are looking for scoring or looking for a personality that's going to infuse into an organization that's desperately needed, especially when you look at a team like the Charlotte Hornets. Now, granted, the Hornets do have two picks that are late in the lottery, but we know that they're trying to do whatever it takes to get themselves back on the NBA map, especially when they're looking at a coach, someone like Mike D'Antoni right now, who has been a guy that Michael Jordan has interviewed here over the past few days. So there isn't much that I could delve into when it comes to sleepers, when it comes to a guy that could really be an impactful piece to an organization. I know that the draft, everybody wants to look at the hope of an organization to see if they could get that player or players, 
maybe make a deal, get their franchise guy, and after the top four, I can't see a guy that's going to be a 13th overall pick like a Giannis Attentacampo, like a Donovan Mitchell that can fall down the draft board and then land at a spot to the point where two, three years from now, you could say, ah, that guy is going to not only be a fixture in the league for about a decade, a decade and a half, but could possibly take this team to a championship aspiration level that some of the picks before him may not be able to attain. And going back to those top few picks, I know Orlando, if you bring in a guy like Jabari Smith, we all know about his size and we know about his capability there as far as being that guy who, as we all know, low post, low block, it's not the NBA today, but you wonder whether or not Orlando, as a young team, bringing in another piece like that, you would think in the next two or three years, they could maybe make a run in an Eastern Conference where... Yeah, the Celtics will be around. You would think the Bucks as well. Who knows what's going to happen with the Sixers. The Nets, they could probably be at the bottom of the conference at that time. So Orlando, that's a safe pick. I know a lot of people may want to think about Paolo Bancaro as being that guy that, as I mentioned before, could bring a lot to a team, could bring a lot to an offensive skill set. We talked about Chet Holmgren. Again, I'd need to see more, and there's a lot of work to be done with him, not only with his body, but his skill set as well. And Ivy, I could just see him being that guy who's going to be a backcourt fixture, whether it is with De'Aaron Fox or a guy that could lead this team. And as we all know, Sacramento, they have pretty much been basketball Siberia since the days of Mike Bibby, Peyas Ljakovic, Vlade Divac, Chris Webber, etc. So... Other than that, people, I don't know what else to really go deep in or to get that whole full scope of what the first round could be, what second round picks that could be a sleeper, that could be a player that takes some time to be that long-term solution for an organization. I really can't tell you. And I understand people could say, well, Jay Reels, come on, you're my guy. I'm turning to you to see what I could get as far as the draft. Who could I look out for? Who's the sleeper? Who's plummeting in the draft. Yes, that's all well and good, but I got to keep it real with you guys. And I'm sure that the dying wall college basketball fan, yes, they could break this all down to a T. But full disclosure and full transparency, once you get past those first four, even the average basketball fan can't tell me some of these guys that are going to be all guarantees or going to be future all-stars in the league. When we look at these mock drafts, you have a guy like Dyson Daniels who could be picked sixth in the draft here by the Indiana Pacers. This is one mock draft that I'm looking at. People couldn't pick Dyson Daniels out of a lineup. Or Shaden Sharp. Yes, he played at Kentucky, but is this a guy that's going to be easily an 8-10 to year NBA veteran that's going to make a contribution to a team? Or if you're looking at a guy like Malachi Branham from Ohio State. You had some guys from France overseas that has been part of this mock draft, and I'm sure that a lot of these draft boards that these guys have here in the first round, you know, Tari Eason and guys like Blake Wesley, and I'm sure that they're ranked here amongst the top 30 picks for a reason. But at the same time, these guys, if they fell in your lap, 
are you going to look at them and say, oh yeah, I know that this guy for sure is going to have a long NBA career or is going to be on a team that's going to contribute to a playoff team or a championship team, etc.? I'm sorry, unless you're that die in the wall watching every college game and watch the tape on a lot of these guys, and we can watch all the tape in the world, but it's not going to translate to the pros, at least not in the first couple of years. And this is why I share with you just my early thoughts as far as the top of the draft, and then the rest of it is your guess is as good as mine. And that's what we got here when it comes to this first round, even the second round of this NBA draft. And I know a lot of the news tonight may be centered around Kyrie Irving with the draft taking place at the Barclays Center. And we know that with Kyrie, it's always going to be a sideshow. It's always going to be a circus. And with the reports early this week where there's been an impasse between he and the Brooklyn Nets as far as getting that max extension, we all know that he has an opt-in this year at $36 million. And after that, he could be a free agent. Now, whether or not Kyrie wants to jump ship, who knows? But I will say this. Kyrie wanted to be a part of a Brooklyn Net team going back to when he was a boy. Now, granted, they were in New Jersey at the time, but as he had mentioned in interviews going back a couple of years, how the Nets, Jason Kidd, how just being in the shadow of living in New Jersey and having that team pretty much in his backyard was a dream of him to play for that franchise. And then now he has an opportunity to either stay for that one year, try to see if they can secure that championship with Kevin Durant in tow, with a healthy Joe Harris, and you would think with a healthy Ben Simmons. But with word coming out, whether the Nets are going to have to pull off a sign and trade, would that be going with the two LA teams, or maybe even the team across the bridge in the New York Knicks? I'll start off by saying this. I think Kyrie will stay here because I'm sure he's having discussions not just with the front office, but I'm sure with Kevin Durant to say, hey, I hitched on the back of your wagon to come onto this team so we could try to win a championship, and now you're going to bail on me? I'm sure KD's probably getting that into Kyrie's ear, knowing that he has to honor this commitment. And yes, we know about the track record. We know about his reputation, taking games off, stuff that's going on with the world, him having to just take a back seat at times, not being 100% reliable, not being a guy that you could fully trust, all of that. And I think the Nets are smart not to put forth or back up the Brinks truck to give him 200 and some odd million dollars. So with Kyrie... As I said, wanting to play for this organization as a boy, getting that opportunity, not really fulfilling the full contract. And this is vaccination aside, because we all know that whether it was the insurrection, not wanting to perform there, him taking time off for his birthday, having to take a leave of absence at the drop of a hat. We know that this is Kyrie, and this is how he's pretty much been during his tenure with the Nets to where... For one year, if you could bank on him, you would think that he's going to give you everything that he's got. But we know that Kyrie, I would think, would want to have that security in his back pocket. So that's the fascinating thing here about this because you have Kevin Durant there in the background wondering whether or not Kyrie's going to want to stay put at least for one more year. And if he doesn't, 
that domino effect of what that's going to do to the psyche and maybe to the, I would say, availability of Kevin Durant that he could possibly ask for a trade. Is that far-fetched? Absolutely not. At least I don't think so. But first things first, I think Kyrie's going to stay. If he's going to leave, it's going to have to be a sign-and-trade, and we know that the Nets are going to have to bring back a bad contract. Now, does that mean Russell Westbrook? Absolutely not. The Nets would be insane to reunite Russell Westbrook with Kevin Durant, so you could forget about that. But whether that would be with the Clippers to bring back a contract, even with the Knicks, which I think the Knicks would be crazy to do that, but I understand they're trying to be relevant again after making the playoffs two years ago and then bottoming out last year. And we all know that situation with Kemba Walker, who I believe is still on the contract, so you're going to have to get rid of him. And I don't think the Nets are going to take that contract back. So they're going to be in a little bit of a pickle to try to make a deal. And I'm sure they're going to do whatever they can to get into the camp and into the thought process of Kyrie Irving to say, play this out, give us that one year, and away we go. But who knows? Now he has until a week from yesterday to decide whether or not he wants to opt in or opt out. And obviously, if he does opt out, boy, that is going to be a soap opera, to say the least. Right now, I think he stays. I think he owes it to the organization, considering what has happened. And granted, he could do whatever he wants. He could opt in, opt out. I get it. But knowing that he brought Durant here for one sole reason, and that's to win a championship, and everything that Kyrie talked about, like I mentioned, going back to when he was a boy, you would think that he would honor this commitment and say, what the hell? Let's do it. All my chips are pushed to the middle of the table. Let's get after it. If not, everything that I just said was a pipe dream. And it was just a mirage. Because if he doesn't come back, and that's his right. And I'm not trying to say that if he leaves, oh, look at him, boo, blah, blah, blah. Yes, we could go at that angle. But that's the whole point of a player opt-in. He could say, yes, give me that last year and... I'll deal with my contract next summer. Or, uh uh-uh, I want out. The Nets aren't showing me any love. I thought it was going to be one way. It's now another. Goodbye. And then you can forget about it. The whole organization will just blow up. And then the trust factor of a one, Kyrie Irving, to whomever's going to sign him, they're just going to have to hold their breath and cross their fingers. As I take off my high tops and put on my cleats, baseball at this very moment To me, the story is the Astros only because of the schedule that they're in the midst of as they beat the Mets in two games down at Minute Maid Park. And now they come to New York for four games at Yankee Stadium and then two games at Citi Field before they host the Yankees for one game in a makeup that would have taken place in April. But due to the lockout, they have to make these games up along the way. So over the course of the next week, You're going to see the Astros if you're in the tri-state area where they come to Yankee Stadium for four and then they play the Mets for two games at Citi Field. So hopefully they'll be able to get some revenge there. And then they'll have the Yankees for the one game next Thursday. But the Astros are a team, I'm not going to say that's been under the radar because absolutely not. They're the second best team in the American League. But when we look at them as a whole, even with players over the years leaving, whether your name is Garrett Cole, Carlos Correa, the championship 
DNA, as I've talked about with Tampa, now with the Astros, is still intact. Because you still have Jose Altuve, as we all know, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel, who's not having a good year, but we know has been a part of that fabric for quite some time, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker. The lineup is still good. It's still deep. And you have Justin Verlander at the top of that rotation, followed by Framber Valdez, and you have a few other good pitchers in that starting rotation. It's almost as if the Astros... Despite them winning the one World Series, and we all know that they were cheaters, 2017, all right, fine, get it. But they made a World Series in 2019, they made a World Series last year, they're going to be in prime position to do so this year, with a manager that has not been able to get over the hump and a one Dusty Baker. This is a team that is almost like the boogeyman. You can never count them out, you can never kill them off, and yes, they have not been able to get to the... MLB mountaintop going back to 2017, but they haven't been a team that's gone away or haven't been a team that's fallen on hard times ever since they won that World Series. They've been very consistent. They've been able to plug in players, whether they've left the organization, and now you have a guy like Alvarez who will be in the running for an MVP this year. When you look at his numbers, and he just destroyed the Mets here over the last couple of days. So... With them now coming to Yankee Stadium, which I believe is going to be more of a test for the Astros than the Yankees, because with the way the Yankees have been playing, and they won two out of three against the Rays, and during this stretch here, as I mentioned going back to last Monday, where they had a 13-game scenario where they threw out all the garbage, the Cubs, the Tigers, you know the teams, and now they played nine of these 13 games, and they are 7-2. and two. Just a loss in Toronto, and then in Tampa there, where Isaac Paredes hit another home run. He hit three there in their only win in the series on Tuesday night. He hit another one to open the game last night. And the Yankees had a very good win. They were down 4-1, and they came storming back in the later innings to win, and Judge hit two more home runs in the process. So the Yankees come into this series firing on all cylinders. And I would think, again, the Astros don't have to show and prove anything, but I think this is a big litmus test for the Astros because the Yankees, after everything that's transpired, going back to 2017, and even Brian Cashman with his stupid comments, oh, the Astros didn't deserve it, blah, blah, he's got to let that go. But we do know one thing, that the Astros could play with the Yankees, especially when it comes to October. But knowing that the Yankees are having this big year, and when we look at the pitching matchups over the weekend... The aforementioned Framber Valdez will pitch against Jamison Tyon there tonight, followed by Justin Verlander and Luis Severino. On Saturday, you're going to have Garrett Cole go up against his former team. Cole, off the top of my head, let me see who he'd pitch against. Cole will go against Christian Javier, and then Jose Urquidy will go up and follow Nestor Cortez, who had a bad performance against Tampa in that only loss in that series. But this is an interesting matchup. I really feel that if Houston could split this series, it would be a big psychological edge down the road. And we all know that when you get into the postseason, these regular season games don't matter. But I think for late June, four-game set, it's going to be hot this weekend in New York. And you would think that it's going to feel like an ALCS atmosphere. This is one series that we're going to pay attention to when we 
reconvene on Monday to see how the Astros fare against the big bad Yankees. Other than that, you had the Cardinals and Brewers, which will conclude their four-game set in Milwaukee, where the Cardinals have won the last two, and the Cardinals currently have a one-game edge in the NL Central. So that's something that we'll keep an eye on here and should be a hotly contested race deep into the summer. Brewers, who have not played well, played a little bit better as of late, but they had that stretch where they lost eight in a row, and I believe, off the top of my head, they had lost 10 of 13. And the Cardinals continue to... Just do what the Cardinals do, no matter who they have on their team. And we all know they have a very good balanced lineup led by Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. We know the old guard there with Yadier Molina, as well as Albert Pujols, who twilighted his career. But knowing that he's back in the Cardinals, and if they do get into the postseason, maybe he'll have one last magic moment there as a member of the Cardinals. The Guardians have done an excellent job here as they're now in first place as they overtake the Minnesota Twins. And you're going to have a very interesting series starting today in an afternoon game, four games set between the Guardians and Twins. So that's another thing we'll keep an eye on for the course of the weekend besides the Astros, besides this Brewer-Cardinal series, which will end today. And baseball will be front and center, people. There's going to be a lot of talk here as we go deeper into this month, obviously into July the 4th of July, the All-Star break, etc. As we're going to be talking wall-to-wall baseball here pretty much from now, obviously until October. But when we get into the teeth of summer, the dog days of August, we know that baseball is going to be the main topic here on the podcast as we get through this summer together, knowing that we're just two days in to this lovely season. And a lot more to come here when it comes to what happens on the Diamond here on the J Reels Podcast. So let me pivot a couple other things before I bid adieu. Quickly with the golf, Brooks Kepka was the latest to jump ship to go to the Live Golf League. The bottom line is that if you get a couple more players that are going to make this transition, and as we've seen so far, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, we know who the particulars are. Phil Mickelson going way back. In order for the PGA to really feel the effect is that if we get guys like Justin Thomas, you get guys like Colin Morikawa, who said he's not going to go. Obviously, Tiger's not going to go. Once you really start tapping into the top 10, top 20 golfers that are out there, and yes, we understand Dustin Johnson is that type of player, and Mickelson once was that type of player, but when you go into the John Roms, when you get into the Jordan Spieth's of the world. When we start talking about players of that ilk, then the PGA, I'm sure they got their handkerchief wiping their brow of sweat. But when you get those type of guys involved to where they're going to start playing eight events a year and they're going to make tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars, then that's when they're going to have to really do something to either join forces or... Put a stop, and you can't put a stop on these guys because they're independent contractors. It's not as if once they're part of the PGA, they're signed on at the dotted line where they can't go elsewhere. And this is one thing we have to pay close attention to. Now, Kepka's a guy that rubs a lot of people the wrong way, has an air about him, not the most popular guy in the tour. And it's funny because he's going along with Bryson DeChambeau, another guy who jumped ship to the Live Golf League. And we know that there is no love lost between those two guys. So yes, even though you do have some impactful players that have 
now moved on to the Live Golf League, and you'll see him at the majors, the last one being the British next month. But again, as much as those guys may move the needle to a certain extent, but they're not the personality. They're not the top 10 type of player where you're going to look at them and say, wow, this guy's now going to move on to the Live Golf League. John Rom, Patrick Cantlay, go on down the list. And once you get those top golfers involved, Scotty Scheffler, another guy who's been phenomenal this year, once you get those guys to walk, then you're going to have an issue. And I talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but now that Kepka has made the move, along with those aforementioned guys, you just wonder whether or not some of these other guys are going to do so here in the days and weeks to come. And if they do, the PJ is going to have to do something about it. That's all there is to it. But for now... We're going to have to wait and see. I believe the next event is this weekend, which would start today in Portland, Oregon. Not familiar with the golf course. 54 holes. Not a lot of buzz. Not a lot. And rightfully so, it's a league that is just forming. It's still fledgling. And they're trying to procure the best players possible. And even though you may have these guys that are going to play only three rounds, 54 holes, LIV, Roman numerals, put it together. That's the name of this league, although we call it the Live Golf League. Maybe it's the 54 Golf League, we should probably call it. Who knows? But how this takes off and what kind of effect it's going to have on the PGA, especially with the players and their movement, is going to go long and far as to what the PGA is going to do if players do start to take that leap. And right now, after Kepka, who knows? Maybe it'll just calm down a little bit. I understand that to play 15 events throughout the course of the year may be a little bit too much for some of these players, but when it comes to integrity, when it comes to the history of playing on these courses, and we understand that the DeChambeau's, the Johnson's, they're going to still play in the major tournaments, and Augusta's going to have a say at that, but obviously they have plenty of time to make a decision on what to do with these players that are transitioning to the Live Golf League, but as it is right now, it's going to be a little bit quiet. Kepka, we get it two days ago. He was able to make that move, but we'll have to see how many more players are going to move in order for this to really become a groundswell to where the PGA is going to have to do something here. Because when you have those players leave, it's almost like having the NBA players go to another league, the top NBA players at that, and then they're going to be scuffling and scrambling around to do whatever it takes to kind of not have their type, top players go on to another league, make money, notoriety, etc. So we shall see. And with the NFL, Rob Gronkowski retires. Is that big news? Eh, to a certain extent. We know his career. I'm not going to break it down. I know the big question is, come October, November, when he gets the itch and Tampa's maybe, I don't know, 7-1, and does he come back? Right now, if you ask me, it's who knows and who cares. I don't. I hope he retires. I hope he doesn't flirt with the idea of coming back. Let sleeping dogs lie. So that's all I'm going to say about that. The scenario with Deshaun Watson, as we now know, 20 of the 24 women have settled out of court. I believe one of the four women is Ashley Solis that you saw in the Real Sports segment there a few weeks ago. And as we know right now, the NFL has not done anything. Even Roger Goodell, still quiet even with the Daniel Snyder front, and that's a whole other thing 
that I won't even get into right now, but says that he doesn't even have the authority to remove him from Washington, which to me is a joke, but that's another story for another day. But for these women who have now been paid 20 to 24, and even though Deshaun Watson made a comment the other day saying that he's innocent and saying that he's going to do whatever he can to protect his name and that he regrets the attention that the Browns and the organization are getting because of this. Well, if he's already paid 20 to 24 women off and he says he's innocent, come on. This is something he should have done a long time ago and would have put pretty much to bed if this was already taken care of. And I know it sucks to say that considering that the trauma that these women have to go through for the rest of their life. And we've only heard some of the stories from some of these women. It's terrible. There's no other way to slice it. We're going to have to wait and see what the NFL is going to hand down as far as the suspension. They say that him settling with 20 of these 24 women have no impact on what the final outcome will be as far as the suspension goes. But as I said before, and I'll say it one last time, what in the hell is the NFL and Roger Goodell waiting for in order to hand out a one-year suspension? The Browns know it's coming based on the 1 million that they're giving Deshaun Watson this year that's not going to affect their cap. I know the Baker Mayfield angle, that's a whole other discussion to get into. And maybe that's why they haven't let him go. And I even mentioned they should have traded him a long time ago, but they're keeping him for a reason because they think that Watson's going to be out for a year. I tell you, this is just one gigantic mess from what Watson has done allegedly with all of his behavior to finally paying off these women or a majority of these women, 66 women in total, NFL not handing down a suspension, they're a PR nightmare, and that's all I got to say about that. It's just sordid, to say the least. And then the Ravens, boy, they had a couple of big hits yesterday with Jalen Ferguson, their linebacker who died unknown as of now. No foul play was announced. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to he and his family, third-year player, and then Tony Siragusa, the one-time Colt, and also part of that dominant Raven Super Bowl 35 defense, dies at the age of 55 in his sleep. Of course, thoughts, prayers, and condolences. We know he was part of the Fox family there on the sidelines and being a part of the broadcast there for NFL games dating back to the early 2000s up to, I believe, 2015. Also acted. He was a big part of the NFL family there and a big loss. So again, thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Siragusa family. Just terrible news all the way around. And that will do it, people. Midweek podcast just about in the books. But as I like to say before I bid adieu, I thank you all for not only listening to this podcast, but also participating, showing your love. Hopefully you're spreading the wealth with the sports fan in your life, as I hope you're doing so because it is not taken for granted on my part. I know you probably get your... Source of sports from other outlets, and understandably and rightfully so. But knowing that you spend a few minutes here with me and that you stick it out throughout the entire podcast means the world. And I thank you again for stopping by. And if you haven't done so, speaking of participation, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review. It's going to go a long way into increasing the visibility of this podcast as I look to the second half of this year trying to corral the future guests and guests, plural, to really take this podcast to another level. So if you could play your part, I would greatly appreciate that. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so by going to any of my social media accounts, 
TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, and the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com, slash the J Reels Podcast, whatever you want to put forth. Toward this endeavor, the upkeep of the website, the production, equipment, etc. It will go a long way to enhancing this experience for you between your earbuds or through your speakers. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. This is what my work for the last four plus years has been. And hopefully for the next four decades and beyond. I know it's a bit of a stretch, but you get what I'm coming from. Because it's in the blood, it's in the DNA. This is what I love to talk about, people, if you... Haven't been able to tell, then I got a lot more work to do. But if you have been able to, then you understand where I'm coming from. Because whether anything and everything that goes on in the world of sports, my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.